Shumai, it has been a while. Um, I sincerely apologise. I've been in Mozambique with Team Rubicon UK, um, supporting their disaster response efforts out there. Uh, Mozambique got smashed by Cyclone Edoi on the 14th of March. Um, yeah, the, the cyclone hit the east coast of Africa. Mozambique was one of the most mainly hit. So, smashed the coast. Uh, when, I land, when I landed, it was like palm trees, all the palm trees, like 45 degrees, this building smashed. And then the cyclone moved inland west towards Zimbabwe and it hit a mountain range. And when the cyclone hit the mountain range, it just dumped all its water. Uh, it dumped it all. Mozambique side, the water came down and, and created uh, what I would describe as um, biblical flooding inland. An ocean inland is unbelievable. I got there after it had gone, uh, after the flooding had disappeared and people were out of the trees um, and trying to survive. Uh, but I were talking, you can, see, you can see the debris in the tops of the trees, you can see where high it had gone, it was like 20, 20, 20 30 foot high, the flooding is un- unreal. So Team Rubicon UK are a disaster response charity. They obviously respond to disasters. They're formed predominantly of uh, military volunteers. You also have a lot of civilians, uh, volunteers as well. Um, and they provide life-saving aid to the people who need it most. As I said, currently in Mozambique, uh, smashing that job out of the park. They have helped tens of thousands of people out there. Um, the job they're doing, uh, the testament of the job they're doing, the UN have got behind Team Rubicon. Bear in mind, Team Rubicon is a, a, a very small organisation, and when I was out there with them, there was... Only two strike teams on the ground, strike teams of four-man teams, and then you had a few people in the Emergency Operations Centre in Beaver City helping coordinate with the other NGOs. And the UN have highlighted the work of Team Rubicon, so those two teams on the ground and, and our um, ops centre people. And the UN have got behind us. Uh, when I say us, I mean two, Team Rubicon UK and supporting them. That is how effective Team Rubicon UK are. They are absolutely amazing what they do. I've seen it firsthand. They are still out there now. When our two teams came back, they deployed two further teams out at the request of the UN. Team Rubicon UK, they can only go on as long as their funding allows them to do so. They are not government funded. Okay, so every penny that they get goes towards disaster response. Um, You can find more online about Team Rubicon UK at teamrubiconuk.org. You can donate at teamrubiconuk.org for such a night. You can also at our website volunteer, um, which I suggest you do and become one of their prestigious grey shirts. As I said, I've worked with this, these guys, I'm a member of the team, and I wholeheartedly vouch for just how capable and honest an organisation they are. From the very top, the CEO, Richard Sharp, a previous podcast guest, all the way down to the grassroots, like myself. <coughs> TeamRubiconUK.org uh, Westway Nissan are sponsors again today. Westway Nissan are the UK's largest Nissan dealership. They have dealerships all over the UK, Scotland, down to southern England, all the shot, home, the home of the British Army, and even Wales, I believe. I can't back that one up about Wales. I think they've got one in Wales. Google it first, though. Don't go driving to Wales for a Westway Nissan dealership without Googling it, because I might be talking shit. But it's okay. I'll be forgiven by Tony, because they're an awesome organisation. And the MD, Tony, is ex-military as well. Um, they have uh, they have an exclusive deal with Nissan, so there's only certain makes and models. There's certain makes and models of Nissan you can only get 
by 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 going to Westway. Can't get them in the near the dealerships. Westway will also give you up to a twenty percent discount um, if you are ex-military or serving military, which is awesome. They do private vehicles and commercial vehicles. You can buy vehicles and you can hire vehicles from them. So go to westwaynissan.co.uk to uh, take a look at them what they've got going on. They have um, they have offers on all the time. They publicise publicise them on the website, but you're better off going into one of the dealerships now to visit. Really nice people. I've been to a few of the dealerships um, shooting the shit with Tony and uh, and they've helped me out with the vehicle in the past as well. So I suggest going in and visiting doing a, and do a bit of bartering. You'll get a good deal whether you're military or not. Westwaynissan.co.uk and Westwaynissan on social media. Finally, today sponsoring ours is the is Rugby for Heroes, rugbyforheroes.org. The most important thing about them at the moment is next weekend. So that is the 10th and 11th of May, 2019. They've got a rugby, no, they've got a beer and gin festival going on um, at Old Lemontonians Rugby Football Club. So the beer and gin festival is raising money for Team Rubicon UK and the 353 Trust. The 353 Trust is a military charity. It is run by Tony from Westway Nissan, and uh, all of that funding, both those organisations, goes to charitable causes. There's no flipping, dodgy, siphoning off of money, and not that not the, the organisations do it. I'm not, I'm not saying they do. I'm just saying these two organisations are very, very honest, and um, maximise the use of their money where it should be going. They're awesome people. Uh, three, five, no, not three, five, three. Yeah, so uh, the, the Beer and Gin Festival. It starts on the 10th, which is a Friday. It goes through on the 11th of May, which is a Saturday. There's bands, there's veteran-owned brands there, food, drink, obviously beer, obviously gin. Um, if you go online to buy tickets, it's ticketed an event. If you go online to buy tickets, you can get them for a fiver. That's for the weekend. Right, you can turn up on the day as well. It costs you a tenner. There's camping available and there's glamping available on site. Rock up on the Friday, stay there all weekend. Like five year camping, it's, it's a no brainer. Uh, there's an invitational rugby match happening on the Saturday at half two, which is a military veteran side versus uh, Old Edmontonians RFC veteran side. Um, and yeah, what else is going on there? It's loads of shit, loads of stuff going down. A load of the podcast guests are going. Um, ah, it's also, a, it's actually a free event. If you're a Team Rubicon UK grey shirt volunteer, it is a free event for you, including free camping. I will see you there. Please come along. I'll be more than happy to meet you. And uh, I'm sure the other guests will too. It's going to be superb. Rugby, FORheroes.org. Rugby number four, no, rugby number four heroes on social media. Have a look on that. All the information's there. The Beer and Gin Festival, tenth, eleventh of May, twenty nineteen. I will see you next weekend there. That's it. Enjoy onto the podcast. My guest today is Gareth Gaz, Gaz Jones. Gaz is uh, ex-military. He served tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. Saw uh, on the front line. Um, got a lot of experience there and. Uh, He's also an accomplished author, very accomplished author. He is an absolute pest on uh, on social media with a massive following. He is he describes himself as essence, essence being uh, military slang in some areas, in some 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 units for uh, good looking. I, I would not disagree, but I wouldn't tell him to, tell him that to his face. Uh, we had an awesome conversation about Afghan, Iraq, um, mental health, 
politics. It was uh, I really, really enjoyed this one. He's a top bloke, and um, you will enjoy it too. I, I order you to enjoy this podcast too. Hey, Chower with Gaz Jones. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having us, bro. <laughs> short notice. Short notice. Yeah, right. I appreciate it. Probably like 24 hours. Mm. No, mate. It took to me 21 to drive here. It's, it's one of those, sometimes, I, it happens sometimes with the, the schedule of the podcast. You have a fastball, and then actually something quite positive, not a fastball, someone like drops up his bones, and you get something positive yeah. come out of it. Like, yeah, we'll dead, see dead man's shoes, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see how, we'll see how the day goes there. <laughs> Cheers for bringing the books in, mate. I, I'd Welcome, appreciate brother. it. The, um, your one. Yep. Brothers and Arms that you signed. I'll do a giveaway for that. Sounds right. good, mate. Yeah. And, uh, mate, you got fucking books coming out of your ears. Yeah. Well, it's a weird one because we're in a weird situation today because I know a bit about you because I wrote a book that features you. Yeah, I'm um, going to talk to you about that as well. Which is kind of a, it's, that's a weird little thing, really, because when we first met, I was like, oh, I know you. Well, when, <laughs> uh, so the book you're on about for yep. people listening and watching is No Way Out by Adam Jowett. Um, Adam was uh, the company commander in company commander of a company called Easy Company, which is a group of power agent and Royal Irish, and they were we. I was part of it as well. Is um, it was the known as it became known as the Siege of Musakala, where uh, well, it's, I suppose the highlight of the story, if you like, is that the Taliban got us out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when I see you put a post on. I wasn't sure who you were, right? Because I don't really... I use social media, right? But <laughs> yeah. I don't go... I don't fucking... You know, I, I'm not mental on it. I wasn't. I have to get involved now. So, I seen your name flitting about. I seen your podcast flitting about. And then I saw you put a post up saying... Uh, um, you were... Something like you were happy that No Way Out... The book No Way Out was doing so well and blah, blah, blah. And you and it said something like you'd helped write it. And I was like, what? Who is this bluffer? Yeah. Who is this yeah. bluffer? No bluff. way. I rang, I rang Adam up. I, I rang really? Adam up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of the few times he answers his phone. He uh, answers his phone. Nightmare. I said, mate, he's some, he's <laughs> love him, but he's a nightmare. I said, I said Adam, there's some dude saying he'll write your book. Mate, his name's such and such. Is he a, is he a Walt? <laughs> and, yeah. and then Adam told me all about it. How, so, mate, how writing? Right. How did you get into that? Uh, was a young lad. <laughs> I was a young lad and I watched Jurassic Park and I started writing a sequel to it when I was a kid Fuck off. no I did Jen I've got it at home still with pictures and then when Jurassic Park 2 came out in the theatres it was just like what I'd written so got mugged off there hang but, on mate, hang on hang on I just want to clarify something here. you wrote the sequel you can't make no idea you wrote the sequel to Jurassic I wrote, Park I wrote something that was very similar to it right, so I can only I assume that it was stolen from me <laughs> as a child and me how old were you? Fucking hell, I don't know, 37. Who did Jurassic Park? It's, well, it's Spiel written by book. Michael Crichton, wasn't it? Written by Michael Crichton, me, rest in peace. And then... Um, the first book, the book was. The second it? one, yeah, the second one was too. He wrote the second one, he wrote Lost World, and then I, then the rest of them were just... Did he write the book after you wrote yours? That is the question, isn't it? That, oh. that, mate, all, uh, once I've got the money to take on the estate of Michael Crichton... <laughs> There's going to be some uproar, but now yeah. I like on the. I, I mean, that is a gem story. When I'm going to dig out the gun, I'm going to go in the garage one day and dig that fucking story out of there. But um, the stories, as in like the ones that are actually recognised as being by me and not stolen by Michael Crichton and Steven Spielberg, are. Um, um, I started doing them. Uh, first one got published in 2000. 
uh, 16. Started writing like right at the end of 2014. Um, started writing in 2014. I was doing the um, ship security. When did you get out? Uh, 2011. Okay. So I was. Uh, I got out then as well, yeah. Yeah, well, I was, I was a dirty TA, dirty staff. And um, I did the FTRS. And then that that finished, I think, I think that finished two, that, that finished 2011. And then I hung around in the TA for a bit after that, but I just couldn't get into it after Afghan and Telic. So, um, yeah, I started working on the ships and um, got time on there to finally start writing, which is something I'd wanted to do for ages. Like, I kept journals, pretty detailed journals when I was in Afghan roughly detailed one when I was in Iraq and um, started putting them together started just really you know all those hours when I wasn't wanking on stag I, I was thinking about stories and I started started putting them putting them together um, you know there's only so much of uh, only so much of like, playing the devil's fruit you can do when you're in Sanger in there so um, and then yeah put a, put a couple out in 2016 put one out in 2017 then last year I think three out and then this year oh, hopefully get another three out this year um, so it's been busy, busy, busy okay. since then. Fucking hell, mate! Smashing it. When right, military. Yeah. When so? When did you join up, and what did you join up as? Two thousand. While I was in sixth form, were you in the same time? I joined up two thousand. Well, yeah, it was. How both, old are you? Well, I'm thirty-five now. Oh, you're younger than me. Yeah, okay. Younger. Right, two, two. Hang on. Yeah, let me get this straight. Yeah, two thousand. You were sixteen now when you joined up. Seventeen. Just oh, week yeah. week I turned seventeen. Yeah. So I, the idea was I wanted to be an officer because I thought I was going to go do A levels, uni. Um, so I went to the um, went to the local barracks to where the regimental secretary was because they're the ones that kind of guide you on the officer path. And he was and I, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll go to OTC when I'm in university. He's like, ah, oh, fuck that, you won't learn anything. He said, come with me. So he kind of like walked me over to the TA barracks and there was a guy. He was the PSAO. He was the he's like the full time. Um, He's like the full-time, you know, admin guy. Staff guy yeah, yeah, he was the ex-RSM of the 1st Battalion Robots Fusiliers. And, okay. you know, good experienced bloke. And, he, you know, he he was basically like, look, if you want to learn more about the actual job and then know what your blokes are going to be going for, he said, you join, you know, he said, do do a few years, you know, in a, in a rifle company in the TA first and you'll get to learn a lot more about it than you will do if you just do a drinking club in, you know, in the OTC. So I did that. And then, um, you know, and that was kind of, that that worked well, you know, they give me the platoon si- uh, signaler position so that I can mir- mirror the t- platoon commander and, you That's know, good. learn that way. Yeah, because it was back in the days of the old fucking 3-5-2 giant things. And, you know, it was kind of, um, it was a good learning experience. And then for my first kind of a annual camp when I went away with the TA was we were in Holland. Um, it was the week, uh, sorry, week before I turned um, 18. And we're in a, in a chip shop in Holland watching the TV and we're like, oh, what's going on on here? And it's, fucking planes flying into a building I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. and then obviously things started to change from there and then I was went to university still in the TA some of my mates started to point <coughs> to Iraq on you know with the early telex some of my friends are up in Alamara on telex 4 you know pretty tasty mm-hmm. Brian Wood kind of territory and um, I started thinking to myself like do I, do I want to do this officer thing or do I want to you know I kind of like what well, the lads are coming home and spinning some fucking dits about what they're doing on tour, I'm thinking this is that sounds a lot more fun to what you know because I when I was looking at it at first, I know it's hard for people to get their heads around now if they're younger, but it was like I was thinking this is just going to be probably my job, and the best thing I can ever hope for is a batter or something, you know, like a big you know, live fire exercise. And all of a sudden, you know what it's like, mate, as well. It's like when this is happening, when the invasion's happening, you're thinking, oh, there's going to be a one month window here, and if I miss it, then it's done. 
I mean, jokes on us. Eighteen years later, it's still going on, mm. you know. But at the time, you know, since since um, you know, first went into Afghanistan. But at the time, what I was thinking was, God, if I don't get out there now, it's going to be be over. So I kind of floated the idea past my parents of, oh, can I drop out? You need to go to Iraq. And obviously, that was like not well received. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you can do if you'd like to be cast out the family and never spoken to again. So like, all right, stay in uni. So I graduated uni. Um, graduated uni, used the TA as a backdoor. What did you graduate? Uh, history and politics. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so I used that as backdoor. And um, I was like, all oh, right, I'd like to go to... Uh, so on Telic 9... A, so Telic 9, 2006 in Iraq. Iraq was going absolutely mental at this point. So this is when you were in Af- Afghan. Iraq was fucking mental at that time. So I was like, oh, I'd like to go to the Kingos or the Staffords, who are going to be the two armor battle groups. And they said, yeah, no problem. Did all my paperwork, get to the Reserve Mountain Center. They're going, oh, you're going on a force protection company, which is basically like what the RAF Reg do. Um, <laughs> I heard like your last episode, there was a RAF Reg slur. So I thought, let's keep the tradition. I can't let's, do it. I have to be let's impartial. Keep, let's keep the tradition going. Here. So we can slag him off at the end. Of it, I have to go, we love you really, RAF Reg. Or we love you really, Royal Reg. If you don't, the thing is, what I'm noticed about the RAF Reg. If you don't, I've actually started laying off them now because I get so many people fucking crying about it. They like they they take it so personally. I almost feel like I've been bullying like a a, a fucking child. This is like, uh, it's just banter though. It's, it's just banter. fucking banter. It's like you're part of the club if you get banter. Wait, Power Edge but, gets slagged. I can't go. I can't speak to anyone in my circle of friends, colleagues, who is non-Power Edge without getting slagged. It's just like, you're just a target. Yeah. Well, yeah, for me, I mean, I'm a hat to you. <laughs> yeah. And to you, you know, you're just a fucking idiot who jumps out of a fucking plane. <laughs> like, um, you know, but that's how it is. It's the banter. But yeah, our regiment. Anyway, getting back on track. So, they do get hammered, though. I can't blame them for being sensitive, but they get fucking hammered. Well, they fucking deserve it. They should really? pick a real fucking job. But yeah, so I was like sick to my stomach when I got this job. I was like, this is not what I fucking want to be, you know, want to be doing whatsoever. Um, and it actually turned out, looking with it with hindsight, it wasn't the worst thing that happened in the world. One, because I met some good lads, you know, so there's a positive. But the other thing is I did get to do some pretty good jobs. Like did, um, you know, we had like a four-man team that worked with ATO as their force protection oh, yeah. stuff. And that was like, looking back on it now, that was a really like lucky position to be in because, you know, you get to... Got to learn really because rather than just being on a fucking out accordion, got to know what was going on in the middle of it. Explain and what ATO is for people. So, ATO is basically the bomb disposal guys with giant balls, male and female, <laughs> who yeah. Um, just, yeah, absolute. Mm. I fucking can't get my head around what they do, but um, but they were great. And I loved that that job was great because we were on constant immediate notice to move, basically. Um, and we, you know, used to get crashed out. And you know, when you get crashed out and there's a fucking adrenaline rush and you're belt blowing through the gates and you're saying, see you later, I've regiment stack on. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that was really cool. That was a great job. The Scheiber? No, this was a, a cob. So the uh, air, air base, basically. Mm-hmm. Your Scheiber was closed by, the, by this point or it was just finished and closing oh. up, yeah. Um, there was basically, so the two tours I did, Telic 9 and Telic 10, were the tours where everything was closing down. We're pulling out of everything. And by the time I left, everything was just down to. Um, the airbase. But yeah, so Telic 9. Um, you know, I got to do some cool stuff like that. But it was really frustrating at the same time because sometimes I'd be stagging on in Sanger at the airbase and you can hear, because, you know, gunfire travels, especially in the fucking desert, 
and you can see the tracer and on the radio you can just hear this huge contact going off and you can see the RPGs going and the tracer bouncing and the warriors driving around going like doo, 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 with a 30 mil and I'm sat in the sangha like Aah! and I, I know that's like most people like any military people you know any military people who aren't resonating are going to be like oh yeah I totally understand you'd want to get stuck in there I know like to any civvies listening you're probably thinking like you fucking mental like why would you want to do that because that's what you want to be doing so that was actually ridiculously frustrating because sometimes, mate, be stagging on the Sangha and then the guys who have just been in this huge fucking contact, they come driving through and you're seeing the lads with, with like fags hanging out of their mouth looking fucking nails and you're just like, mother. And they're looking at me like, you fucking remf. I'm like, I want to be out there with you. <laughs> I want to be amongst it. So I did what any reasonable person would do when you see a battle group getting smashed and say, i got to stay on for a second tour, <laughs> uh, do back-to-back tours and go in that battle group, please. So the Royal Welsh, 2nd Battalion Royal Welsh were replacing the Kingos, uh, or two langs. Um, so I stayed on with them. Um, they assumed that I'd been with the Kings, or two langs. They assumed that I'd been with them. So we thought, oh, we've got experienced lad here. Let's chuck him in, dismount commander in the lead vehicle. <laughs> I've never even been in a wire. I didn't know how to open the door. <laughs> but blokes being blokes, instead of going like, oh, no, I've hardly, I've hardly done any of the offer. I was just like, yeah, no dramas sound (laughs) and then just bumble my way around for the next six months looking for ieds and stuff but yeah it was was an interesting time man iraq was pretty crazy went through a lot of you know first part of the tour was like um pretty kinetic and then the second part was basically kind of leaving basra with our tails between our legs and this is something i think we've got in common but not many people know about this so you know, obviously, people now know the story about what happened with you guys leaving. I don't think they really know the story about us leaving Basra. Go on, then. So, basically, what happened was the British government went to the Jaysh al-Mahdi, the Mahdi army, who were the biggest Shia militia in Iraq, the ones we were doing most of the fighting against, and they just made a deal of basically, like, look, you leave us alone, we'll leave us uh, you alone, we'll pull out the city. Didn't tell the Iraqi government about it, and then we just did one and left the city. So we, when, when nah. we, yeah, yeah, the, you heard it here first, HR podcast. <laughs> the British government decided to pull out of, yeah. uh, of um, there's Basra, a great book, great book called uh, Losing Small Wars by a guy called Frank Ledridge. I've heard of this. I've fantastic this. Yeah, book, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. If you have low blood pressure and you'd like to raise it a bit, read Frank Ledridge's book because your blood pressure will go through the fucking roof. Well, for what? Frustration? Just frustration, mate. When you look at the facts, he was an intelligence officer, right? With, is he Brit- British intelligence officer? Yeah. So it's basically, it's losing small wars, British military defeat in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when you look at where you were when you were there and where I was when I was there, and you look at what they had available to them. So there's the, there's facts in there, mate, it'll blow your mind. That like at the time of these invasions, there was basically in the British Army at the time, something like 800 officers of the rank of colonel and above. Yeah. It, it blows your mind, mate. But like... Go to the book for the statistics because I read this a couple of years ago. What's the but main premise of it then? The what? premise is basically how we went into these wars totally unprepared without any real plan and the British Army attitude of, oh, we'll crack on was kind of like what led to our downfall because that was the, you know, you let's say you're a general, you come to the brigadier and go, can you get this done? And the brigadier goes, oh, yeah, we'll get it done. And then he passes it down and no, one's, no one ever goes, look, this is fucking stupid. We can't control all the Helmand province with one fucking battle group. We can't do it. It's fucking retarded. Same in Basra. You know, I mean, the look at, look at the number of troops we had. Basra, one battle group? 
Um, by by the time that we left, we had the maneuver battle group and we had rifles. So there was basically realistically. But thing is, mate, as well, when Fuck people, me. but when people are talking about battle groups, then. We were so, because it was pre-recession, right? So lads were leaving. You couldn't get lads to stay on because a lot of the lads that we were with in Iraq were on their third tour in three, um, sorry, third tour in three and a half years. Um, so we had, in our war, with first warrior, we'd have four blokes in. Some of the warriors, we'd be lucky if we had two blokes in them. Like it's a four-man crew, right? Well, it's a three-man team. So Sorry, a three-man crew. So you've got gunner, commander, and driver. And then realistically, you should have at least four guys in the back of each warrior. We had two in some of them. Some of them fucking empty. Um, like a platoon I look at my platoon photo from um, from Iraq it's like 20 blokes you know so like the battalions weren't like you know they weren't there weren't that many people there mate like we were you know really fucking it was overstretched the same, same exactly what was going on with you and you look at it now and you're like why were we doing this in Afghanistan or Iraq when we didn't have the numbers for for, for real either why do you think why do you think it started then well, why I do you th- think we went in unprepared why do you think we were unprepared um, because overconfidence I think one, it's the carryover of Avan having had the biggest empire of, in history. That a lot of that carries over. We won two world wars, not on our own, but we are. You know, we did come out two world wars as victorious. Um, and the other, th- the other problem as well, mate, is that you. So, and there's, again, this is something Frank Ledridge explains really well. Every time a new brigade comes into theatre, that brigadier is trying to put his stamp on that that campaign. So have you noticed how things always change every six months? Not just the troops, because the idea is, I think the idea of rotating the troops every six months is a solid one. But I actually don't, I would disagree that it should be all new troops coming in at once. I think that's fucking stupid. It should be a steady rotation of battle groups. Um, But, so you've always got someone in the theatre who's more experienced in other places. So you could put a company somewhere, you know, you you, you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. The problem is, when you bring in a new commander, and let's be honest, a lot of these, once you get above the rank of colonel, we're talking politics, a lot of this stuff. They come in and they're like, right, well, this is how we're going to do things now. So there's no con- continuity. It's always like, oh, well, the last six months we've been taking a back seat and we've been concentrating more on Simic. The next six months we're going to go super dynamic and we're going to be, you know, we're going to do fucking compound clearances. Then the next six months someone's going to come in and do a different approach. There's no consistency. Six months, mate, fucking nothing. I can barely make a book in six months. How are you supposed to restructure a country in six months before you change tactics? Well, I agree with you. Yeah. I fucking, I, I've said it a few times. You want to, you know, well, Iraq and Afghan, you, uh, you um, if you really intend on doing, on, on changing those places for the better in, what, in whatever way you think they should be changed, like you're saying now, and you're not even talking decades, mate. You're talking fucking centuries, potentially centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Afghan, that's a long it takes. Right, l- l- let's look at our Second World War opponents, right? Germany. We are still have well, we, but the, the Americans still have troops in Germany. We've just recently closed our places in Germany. That war finished what 60, 80 years ago. Um, Japan, America still has huge garrisons in Japan. People are okay and acknowledge this. We still America still has troops in Korea. Like, and when I'm not saying troops is in 300 training team, I'm talking divisions of troops. Thousands and thousands and thousands of troops. They, Americans probably have more troops in Korea than we have in the fucking British Army or something close. Um, you know, you can't... The, and the thing is, oh, I was in Afghan in 2009, actually in the same neck of the woods that you were. I was up in um, just south of Muscala. Okay. Um, Whereabouts were you? A village called Yatamshai. So it's just yeah, it's just that was ta- oh, that was firmly Taliban while you were there. <laughs> like that that was that was fought for and kind of recovered from the Taliban. I think in 
on and off but i think that kind of held in mid 2009 and then we took over and did like a ground holding roller mm. um and then now obviously like now it's back in taliban control as is everywhere else that was fought for um you know i think it, i can't remember if it was while we were out there if we were we got we were back but like you know we the idea that you basically say to the enemy All right by the way we're pulling out in 18 months time it's got to be one of the most ludicrous things i've ever heard in my fucking life like it's absolutely mental like you know i think something that maybe in the west that especially politicians and don't understand and you know some voters too which is the knock-on effect of the politicians is that we think about time differently in this country and in america than people like afghanistan do they think about they think about um they're quite willing to fight a war the last 50 years if a war for us goes over five months people start to kick off you know and because they because they understand war and they've got long memory you know they knew they remember and talk about the wars where they beat britain in the past which a couple hundred years ago most people in the uk don't know about that most people in the uk don't really know about fucking falklands barely if you're young if you're a young kid now you don't know about the falklands <coughs> guarantee you no. we have a very short memory in this in this country fucking afghans don't so like to them the idea like they were probably literally laughing when they heard um you know obama say um oh yeah we this is the date we're pulling our troops out they were probably pissing themselves and i'm not hating on obama any more than any other politician because they all do it but like that that idea that you can set a time limit on on a on a mission like that is like like dude like um uh, building a business they say it takes what three years for a business to get profitable so we acknowledge that but then we're going to put a little time limit of a few years onto reconstructing and re because you know we're not talking a gloss of paint on these countries we're talking you need to if this was a if this was a house you're stripping it back to the frame and rebuilding everything what do you think um what do you think so iraq afghan um We'll talk about both those as, as the same kind of same, same kind of affair from the perspective that, oh, you may disagree. Um, I think you know, same fucking anything, mate. Like same with politicians, right? The reasons that we went in, that we were told we were going into, is not the real reasons why we were going in. You know, there was a, there was, a, there, was a, there was grander things afoot. So, without in mind, would you agree with that or not? Oh yeah, I would, I would agree with that one hundred percent. Okay, so with that in mind, right? If we weren't going into, you know. Um, Make Afghan, make Iraq a better place. In, I'm generalising that statement. What, what, uh, what do you think the aim? What do you think the intent was? I think the intent is, um, and this is like from one thing that I've always been interested in is the history of warfare, or history in general, but warfare especially. And then when you look at things, you see patterns, right? And we all like to think that as individuals we are special, and we like to think that the time we're living in is special. And of course, it is in some ways. But when you actually look at history as a whole, you'll see repeating patterns. And when it comes to war, the repeating patterns usually are war is for profit, war is for distraction. Um, and I just think that they, they were the same reasons this time. Um, you know, I made a tweet this week because I was just thinking, like, you know, when, when there was all those ma the, those executions recently in um, Saudi. Saudi Arabia. Now, yes, some of those people may have been terrorists, but that doesn't, you know, but I, it just made me think about, you know, we've still got, you know, uh, air quotes allies who will kill people for blasphemy laws but then at the same time we say that that's the reason that we're fighting isis because they kill people you know because they behead people that don't believe it. And i'm thinking a lot of hypocrisy I agree, it, yeah. it, massive hypocrisy oh. so i'm thinking okay so um so what that says to me is 
that means that it can't be ideological because if it was ideological, then we would be doing the same thing for everyone. So the ideological thing is just a mask when it suits. So what can be the real reasons? And you only have to look at, um, you know, there's um, there's there's a lot of people who have made a lot of money, you know, off off of wars, and it's also a great it is a great distraction because it's like when it's the same way as if you want to blame immigrants for something. You know, does immigration cause some problems? Absolutely, it does, but it's very easy for you to say, oh, you, um, you know, things are going bad in your work, blame an immigrant. You know? Well, immigration and, does, but mass immigration does. Yeah, but like this, this, there is problems with everything. And like the same way that there's, there is reasons to go to war, 100%, there's legitimate reasons to go to war. I don't think anybody could have an issue with the fact that we fought the Second World War against the, the Nazis. You know, you, like, um, same with dropping the nuclear bombs on, in, on Japan. There are times when violence is the answer. Um, and you know it's 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 a bit of pill to swallow when you realize that you've been a part in wars that really weren't what you got sold on but all that being said i'd be the first to stick my hand up and say even knowing that if you'd have told me that at the time i probably would have still gone anyway because i wanted the experience yeah i i and yeah no yeah i, I it's an interesting it's an interesting one that right because a little point you made there um because i i've always been as a the belief that you can't afford you can't afford as a soldier or a paratrooper or a guardsman or whatever fusilier whatever you can't afford to um question the the morals and ethics of why you're going to a place you absolutely can question what orders you're being given on a tactical level like go and shoot go and shoot that woman not that I've ever been given that order go and shoot that civilian woman who's done nothing wrong yeah. well I'll fucking question that I ain't yeah. doing it Sunny Jim but on the grander level when you start questioning like like we're talking about now why were we there was it was it right to be there blah 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 <clears throat> if I had done that back at the time if I had allowed myself to do it back at the time it, comp- it compromises your ability on the ground 100% because you bring your emotions into it you're not thinking tactically um, and uh, and you're not 100% invested in the mission mm. And that's what happens. <clears throat> and but even in something like what you say now, even knowing what I know now, put you back in my shoes. I do it again. Oh, fuck yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Well, mate, we've I've actually got um, um an extract in my journal where one we lost one of the lads, and that night we were at, we all were pissed off, and we could we could we could see that things weren't working, and we said that like I've I've written what lads were saying that night, and we we knew at the time that what we were doing was doomed doomed to failure, but. We still wanted to go out and scrap like that didn't that didn't change like and i think that's something that i thought i've always like it's they're not you know life isn't fucking simple because people say oh so you don't think we should have been there well yeah we still like the fact is once we were there there was an enemy that was worth fighting in my opinion you know i would have liked to have seen through the mission for the just because we were there on um, false pretenses doesn't mean that we couldn't have done good while we were there and for a short time in some places i think we did do good um, you know, 100%, there was a lot of people there who would have liked us to stay. Mate, I get fucking messages on my social media from people in Iraq, civilians in Iraq and stuff, saying, please come back to Iraq. They want us back because they say, since we leave, it's just the militias are just, especially in Basra, like, because obviously, they, you know, the ones out in fucking rural Musakal are not, you know, they're not fucking on the ground. But um, the, um, you know, ones in Iraq, you know, they can have access to the internet and they say that it's just, you know, the these... Shia militias running the place and they're fucking brutal and they want they want the days back when there was British soldiers on the ground Iraq is one of the most disgusting most corrupt places I've ever worked yeah. and uh, very similar in, now from from an indiv- on an individual level to per- person to person when you meet you know the Iraqis 
and this is more an Islamic cultural thing, very, very generous, very kind, very polite. Um, but then, but then you get that in group, in a group fucking just so, this whole place so corrupt. I wish it was different to Afghan in that regard. I, I tell you something I struggle with, I struggle with a question that's been flitting around my mind last six, six, 12 months. I thought not, not addressed properly is, um, on observation is that, you know, we're talking about there going in and 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 scrapping, and you're saying about an enemy worthy of going and scrapping. Now they fucking need smashing. They're doing good things on the ground, as in getting the Taliban in a village. Blah blah blah. <clears throat> One of the issues I can see with that is is we the reference point we are using for improving the reference point we're using for improving an area, a village, a town, a country's um, way of life is a Western reference point. So. Which isn't correct. Um, so we should use a, a reference point, an Afghan reference point. Okay, what is like, what, like before we went in, right, for example, Musakala, Sangin, fucking Goresh, wherever. Before we went in there, what was, what was their pattern of life like? Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and how, what impact did it have on them? Their pattern of life, basically the Taliban, I would say it was just like having coppers. You just had coppers knocking about, albeit slightly fucking strict coppers, right, who, who's, uh, whose use of force was questionable. <laughs> yeah, but, that's just counts. it's just it's just yeah it's just the way their life is and they just crack on yeah you know i'm gonna go on i'm gonna go and do this today i'm gonna go and farm oh the taliban fucking tommy taliban came out the door i've got to go and give x amount of my crop to him or give him this money or i'm gonna go down the road oh there's a there's a checkpoint the taliban were there and i had to pay the money normal pattern of life they don't see that as a bad thing because yeah. that's just normal life yeah well thing is what i say to that is um, you know, you're talking about Tommy Taliban coming knocking on the door and asking for their share of the crop. Um, what happens to you if Her Majesty's government comes and knocks on your door and asks for your part of your wage and you don't give it to them? Mm. You go to prison. And you don't get your hands chopped off, but you get punished. Like, the idea... This is my point. Yeah, the this idea that we don't get punished in this system for not complying to the ruling thing is like, is theirs more, is theirs more brutal? Yes, it is more brutal, but you get punished here by the by, by the people that govern you just as much as they get punished by this. Like, um, you know, and, yeah, and uh, here's the other thing as well, mate. Did, 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 like, a country like Afghanistan has the potential to be incredibly dangerous and incredibly lawless. A lot of the people would rather just have the Taliban in charge because when they're in charge, there's security. Now, they might, like, occasionally, you know, you might hear that Bob got his head chopped off because, you know, they found out that, um, I don't know, they found out that he was... I was I'm trying to think of an example that they was, do cut people off because they're, they're he, all right he, with the kid stuff and they're all right with the animal stuff. But all right, let's find he, he had, they had he had a couple of big a uh, couple of big jokes magazines under his <laughs> pillow, right? Uh, okay, so he's in trouble for that. But what they're not going to have probably when the Taliban are in charge, they're probably not going to have people coming into their compounds in the middle of the night and stuff. And that for that part of the world, that is a base level that that, that is what they want. They consider that a good life. Um, we're very egotistical as a culture in the West. Of assuming that everybody wants what we want, some people don't want what, what, like what, what, what we, we want. Do you not think it's it's interesting that seeing more and more now? I know you're into personal development and stuff as well. You know, you look at these look look at the look at books, audio books, podcasts, whatever. The amount of people who are successful people in the West now who are going away to retreats in the Amazon to to get away from what we have in the West, because I'm sure you found the same, mate. I said the you know the reason that like Afghanistan was some of the best days of my life was not necessarily just because of the scrapping which obviously was full of adrenaline filled highs but it was the nights when you're sitting around with the boys you got a little fire going you're just chatting you got no phones no distractions 
it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's, Stars, human, it's human nature, man. Yeah. It's this life, isn't yeah. it? It's and, like, and that's yeah. what they have in Afghanistan, mate. Like that, that's what they have now. You know, some oh god, it must my life up without Facebook it must be terrible. No, it's fucking liberating. Put your phone on airplane mode for a day. Do you know what they don't? Yeah. Obviously, just come back from Mozambique with that disaster out mm. right there. Iraq, Afghan. Do you know what those countries don't have? So they don't have all the technology we have. They don't have the Western way of life, right? They just they are they are as connected to each other and nature as you can be in this day and age, right? Do you know what they don't have? Suicide. Mm. They fucking don't have it. People don't kill themselves, mate. They don't kill themselves. Like, that Mozambique, well, people are on their ass. Whole villages wiped out, right? As in, nothing, nothing. They've got nowhere to live. All the crops are gone. No, they, they can't even regrow. They're fucked. So, six months' time, for, hmm, less than that, three, four months' time, they're going to be hitting a famine. There's going to be tens, hundreds, potentially hundreds of thousand people dead. Right. You don't want to get yeah. fucking suicide because you just crack on. Well, the thing just is, I, I think the thing is the suicide is always, you've got to look at, like, so Afghanistan has a very f- high female suicide rate because obviously the position they're in is just basically treated as property. Civvies. Terrible. Oh, yes. Yeah, the Afghan civvies. Yeah, really? Yeah, the, the female one is very high. They drink stuff like bleach and stuff to kill themselves. It's pretty horrific okay. because they are so badly treated. Like, they, they are just raped and beaten. Yeah, like, yeah. their lives are horrible. The men, no. The no. men's not so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you've, you know, the the I think it's suicide now is the leading cause of death among young men, isn't it? You know, it's it's and it's it's climbing and it's it's climbing in women too, and there's a reason behind that. Well, are you aware that the the in America the studies going on with with females committing suicide in America? Yeah, gone through gone gone through the roof, um, and it's oh, fuck me, I can't. The, the, it's really worrying. It's and they've there's been a bunch of studies on it. And it's teenage girls. So it's self-harming and suicide. The rate is climbing. It's like something like quadrupled over the last eight, nine years. Mm. When they look at it all back, it all starts around about... The, the increase starts in around about 2009, 2010. Mm. Um, all of a sudden they're doing... Facebook came about in 2007. Yeah. Twitter was like 2005. Basically, like it's social... It's, Almost entirely down to social media. Well, it's because there's no escaping. Then it's like back in back in the day. It's like you go into school, you get bullied, you then go home. So you're in school for your eight hours, you get bullied, but then you get a break. There's no fucking break now. No, and from, and from the right. but from the girls, you know, why is it girls and not boys? And 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 uh, do you listen to a Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah, uh, so sometimes it depends who's gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the girls, because so how does how does how do I, how if I wanted to hurt you? You know, I think you're a prick. I want to hurt you. How am I going to do it? It's going to be physical. Right, it's going to be fucking physical. It's either going to be physically hurting you or something you own, like your car mm. or something like that. Right? I'm going to smash something up or smash you up. I'll have, I'll have, a, I'll have a bash. Mind. <laughs> <laughs> Girls don't do that. Females don't do that. Females hurt emotionally. Yeah, females hurt people through emotion. Because they haven't got the physical. Oh, they know what to say. Idea. Yeah, so Fucking with the advent of social media, yep. all it does, and look, women, I'm not saying women are worse than men. This is the way fucking shit happens, right? So social media gives them more tools to be. So if they don't like someone, yep. they, go, they go on, they'll unfriend them, or they'll say some shit online about them, or they'll PM in and WhatsApp, yep. all that. And this is what they put in this, well, this increase in uh, Let me ask you as a grown man, be honest on the answer. Has there been a point where you've seen someone unfollow you and it's made you go, Oh fucking hell! For for your mates, even as a grown man, have you had one of those moments where you've had you've had something that's maybe just like touched on an insecurity? Because I I've definitely had it where I I thought like 
you know, oh, um, oh, I see, oh, I've seen, oh, he's invited these people to something. I didn't get invited. Whoa, is this, is this? Oh, the oh, invite is there something thing, going? yeah. Well, just, I'm just I, saying something. I'm not saying it bothers you massively, yeah. but the fact is, as someone, even as a grown man, there can be things where maybe, you know, you might, like, like a little, con- like, I heard one in podcast you mentioned, you know, someone says that you're a thicko or something like that. Oh, like, no. you know, sometimes you brush it off. Sometimes, if you, let's say you were having a day where, you know, you felt fucking hell. My, I really can't get my shit together this week. My work's not fucking great. Am I doing the right thing with my life? Fucking misses is, you know, having a problem with misses. And, you know, like it could be some, you know, you, you open yourself up to that potential negativity. You know, put yourself in the mind of, like, dude, I remember in school, it was fucking, like, you talk about banter in the military. There's a lot of banter, right? But it's good natured, most of it. Fucking high school, mate. Like, I am amazed there wasn't a 50% casualty rate from suicide in school, looking back on it now. It's been stuff people used to say <laughs> to each like, other, mate. Fuck. Mate, I fucking, I, I, I didn't speak, I know, I was the right, I was like, brightest ginger you ever seen. Is that, why, is that why you went, is that why you went in Paris? I'll fucking show this We're going to be a bait, paratrooper. Bait, fucking basically what it was. But not for them, for me. Like, I yeah. was just a weed, mate. It was yeah. a weed, like, I had no self-confidence, no self-esteem. I fucking, I was, I, I didn't like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I struggled to look people in the eye. I struggled to have a conversation with anyone. I spoke really quietly. Um, and then, uh, yeah, fucking, and I got to the point and I thought, I need to fucking prove something here. Plus, I sort of ran out of options. It's like, okay, right. I fucking, <laughs> I, I, now we get into it. Yeah, I, I was getting booted out of college. Right. Um, I basically, I basically left before I got put, I, I did a website called, um, oh, I'm gone. <laughs> I spent, so I went to college with computing, right? And right. in my A level computing class, I spent the time, write in a, a website oh and I published it as well it's Neath College neathcollegesucks.co.uk alright oh, it's not as bad Did as I was expecting there was no no no, 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 no I mean no, you being no. a para mate I was fucking no, I was no, worried no, about no, what was no, going to come no, up there no, resis no, and fucking no, all sorts no, involved no 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 it was, no, was alright but it fucking got booted out with that so was, yeah. and I, wanted, I think at the time I wanted to join up as, a, as an officer to the RAF that's what I recall vaguely and then there's like 20 spent 24 hours at a para did a weekend so I could look, look at life and then the rest is history but um yeah, so fucking school, mate. Well, okay, I wanted to jump because I know you talked about this before, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But you know, when you talk about the snowflake campaign, how would that, like the, the army recruiting thing with the snowflakes, how would that have connected? Would do you reckon that would have connected to you when you were that age? Uh, I can't answer that. I, I I don't know because it was the, the I don't know. Um, because it is hard for us to, because we're not sixteen-year-olds now. Do you know what I mean? Like, because there definitely is a difference in it's hard, someone it's that's grown up with social media and stuff. It's like, yeah, mo- a lot of stuff is similar, but they, you know, we also have to acknowledge that change. Because I was thinking about it, because I was like, oh, I wouldn't have worked for me, but then I thought, well, yeah, but I don't know what I'd be like now if it'd been social media and stuff. That's I, I, mean, I think yeah. I reckon if you're an infantry soldier, I, well, I have this hypothesis, right? That infantry, which hypothesis, big word for infantry soldier to you. So, I was practicing that one in the car. Um, that I reckon there's a certain amount of people in a country that are born with something in their DNA that makes them want to fight. Be that in the octagon, be that in a boxing ring, be that on a battlefield. Um, and I, I think that your infantry blokes that end up in the infantry, mo- not all blokes, because you know some just end up in the infantry because they're not allowed to do anything else. But a lot of blokes, I reckon, end up there because there's something in them that just makes them want to fight. Now, that maybe that's partly a nurture thing as well. But I, I just think that... I Because I just look back at history, there's always been a certain amount of people who are willing to fucking scrap. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure of that. It, well, that's not me. That's not me at all. No. Um, I fucking enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But it's because... Mm-hmm. 
is because it's, I found someone I was really good at. So it wasn't that you wanted to fight then, it was what you wanted to prove. No, the it was it's basically I wanted to prove myself to myself. It's mm. like, okay, you're a fucking weed, you know. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, you got to. And there's a lot of options. I knew you wanted to join the military. Um, and then it was like, Paris, okay, Paris, fitness. Yeah, I can be fit. And then I was like, oh my God. Like day one, week one in Paris Depot. Like, oh, I made the wrong decision. I <laughs> got, somehow I got all the way through. And then. Um, and then got the tally, and then you know, I, and then I just—I was just very good. I was just very good at the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, it's like when you when you find something you're good at, you fucking enjoy doing it. Mm. But I was not a scrapper before that. Right. <laughs> well, obviously, I know you got. I, I know you'd have to say para reg if you if I said what would you do again. But if you couldn't do para reg, what would you do if you if you did do the military again? Um, pilot. Be a pilot. Yeah. What in what? Uh... I don't know. I don't know. I because um... I think, mate. There's talk, talk about a golden age. If you were a ground attack pilot, Afghanistan has got to be the golden age of. Because it's like thing is, if you ground attack pilot in the Falklands or the Second World War or Korea, you had a high chance of getting shot down. Or, or the Gulf War, first Gulf War. If you've been a pilot, a ground attack pilot over Afghan, you fucking basically just get to turn up murk the hell out of people yeah. and then go home and then smash someone at Kandahar or wherever you're based yeah yeah. that's yeah. a like, that's a blessed job man yeah it's a bucky job isn't it yeah I mean it just yeah I mean like, obviously you know having done that book I know how much close air support you've seen yeah. I, actually you know what I'll, I'll take A10 pilot oh what mate fuck me I, oh, I'll take A10 mate, A10 pilot yeah, yeah. Mm. I, mate, we, we, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's in the book I've read three quarters of it. I don't know if it's in there. You know how it ends. Um, I know how it ends, yeah. But there's a bit in Musakala. There's a, there's a moment in Musakala, and the fuckers were quite close, and the A-10 came in, and like the danger close firing for an A-10 is something like 200 metres away. Something like 200 or 300 yeah. metres mental. This shit came in, mate. It was like 40 to 50 metres. It was the greatest thing I've ever not watched near behind a wall ever. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that video? It's of the... There's um there's some, it's some British lads. There's a, some British lads. They're in like a bit of a like a, a bit of a like a, a really shallow wadi, and then there's you can just hear that there's just been one run, and one of the lads must have put the camera on, and he's like making a joke like, "Oh, you shit yourself then," because one of them had come a bit close, and they're laughing and joking, and then the next one comes in like almost on top of their heads, and they're like, "Back, back, back!" It's mental. I mean, just watching the video, my guts were in my mouth, mate. So, yeah. oh, I wouldn't want to be on the end of one of those. I mean, yeah, and this is what you got like people say what they want about the enemy, but I tell you what, to keep coming after that again and again and again, I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. mate. Fucking. Well, they had the manpower. Must have kind of had the manpower. But they, I, don't, but I even, don't know where the fuck they were getting them from. But even the manpower, though, mate, no. it's like in the track, like, because the thing is, right, this is what I'll say. Do I think that the, like, the Taliban were worth shooting? You know, they were, they were the enemy, and that's that's that, right? I'm not saying. But the fact is, we give a lot of props for our troops in the First World War going out of the trenches again. Oh, they must have been so brave knowing what was... Go- well, if we're doing that, we have to give props to an enemy who was continuously coming in and getting smoked. We have to. Because the thing is, mate, when you underestimate your enemy, that's when you fucking lose. Yeah. And that's why we have. We have. That's why they changed the tactics. So that, though, those initial Yeah, tours, well, they're just losing too. Yeah, they're losing too many people. I mean, by the time I got there, because I was like rubbing my hands like, <laughs> I had the gym pee, mate. I was like, right, here we go. Where's the human waves then? Time to get the kill count up. You know, I thought it was going to be like that bit on Hot Shots, you know, when he's got the little kill count in the corner of the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be like that. Mate, I hardly ever saw the enemy. You'd be like, where the hell's that coming from? Yeah, <laughs> just And it's just IEDs, IEDs, IEDs. What was the, um, what was the, uh, 
in your time in, in Iraq and Afghan, what, what was the, the your least, what's your most memorable? We ever we were ever afraid. Ever oh get, yeah, got blown up once, man. That was fucking terrifying. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, what happened? Fucking, uh, we were driving. We were, we weren't even first vehicle. I was, I was about five vehicles back, I think, and we hit, we hit an ID in, in a warrior, and it was fucking just chaos. How big was the ID? Uh, big enough that it just destroyed the warrior. Fuck killed man. one of the lads. Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, knocked out, knocked out. <clears throat> I think I don't know if I was knocked out. No, few of the lads were knocked out. Um, and that yeah, that kind of moment when it's all smoke and dust in there, and you can't see anything. You just swallowed all that dust and everything. That the the moment of the being scared was putting your hands around you, because like you always get told, if you get a really bad wound, you're not going to feel it. Yeah. So that moment of like running your hands over your everything, do you know what I mean? Like that was that was scary. Um, small arm stuff, not so much. Never really bothered me because I think once you once you fight, especially you got Jimpy, once you get in and stuck in on Jimpy, it's like you know you're almost in your own little world because it's so loud. Next, what's going on next to your head? You kind of you know, do you know what I mean? And but like the the scary bits for me, the bits that always made me scared were um, looking for IDs. When you're going up to when you're going into a choke point, be it say it could be um, it, it could be if you were in Iraq, it could be like um, there was a I can remember there was one place, one roundabout. It's like a big one, one of those big roundabouts out there. You've probably been on it if you worked out there. It was Green Nineteen, so yeah, 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 yeah. Green Nineteen, and um, there was like I remember you know, I, I've been out there with with the ATO to to cause out there. Lads had died on there. There was always IDs on there. So when you're going through a point like that. And you're getting out of the back of the warrior, and you're going through looking for it. That's scary because you know they're going to be. The chances are they, they're probably going to be there, and you know lads have died there recently. That's scary. Or if you're in Afghan, and I didn't have to do this very often in Afghanistan because when we were dismounted, I had the gym piece. So it was only if we were just all mounted up, then I'd take a rifle and do the bomber teams. Um, but sometimes, you know, you like you're looking at you've got two big high compound walls narrow track through the middle of it and you're like if there's an ID I'm done yeah. if there's a command wire ID I'm, t- I'm done there's nothing I can do yeah. about it Abs- absolutely nothing that's yeah. it and I think that's something really hard to get your head around is that like it doesn't matter how, like I mean, even in a small arms contact you know it doesn't matter how good your drills are you could just get up at the wrong time and get hit that's mm. just how it is but at least you can give yourself the illusion that you're doing something about it by firing back with IEDs it's just like you know, if you could be as you could be the best soldier on the planet, and you know you're you're a meter away from that where the ideas and they they could use the command wire or, you know, when you actually find one, if you actually uncover one, it's not that scary really because you're like, oh well, I found it now. The kind of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's just that, and I think that is, um, you know, I think people like if civvies would think. It's the people who have seen the most kind of shooting and stuff, who or the most who have received the most IDF or something, who are maybe the most messed up. But you know, just that not knowing what is beneath your feet and that constant "what if, what if, what if." I think it's actually a release when people start shooting. You know, that's my, my own experience of it. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a release of tension, isn't it? That's yeah. not to say it's not controlled. So if yeah. morons listening, oh, it's tension, they're rusting everything up, and it was bloody bloody Sunday. Yeah, that <laughs> uh. Now the the it's interesting how <clears throat> how your mind can all of those all of that apprehension and uh, stress 
and not knowing and the underlying fear if it's there and you're still able as a soldier fucking sailor whatever you're still able to keep your poker face on mm. and do exactly what you were taught and then if if, if something goes off and the contact kicks off or fucking ID goes off and it's casually you just kick straight you're able to you're able yeah. to maintain composure and 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 your mind is exactly on what needs to be done if this that and the other happens it's amazing it's it's a it, it's uh from a, a mental aspect it's sort of one of those phenomena i think yeah well i do i think you see the difference in um if you've ever been involved or witnessed an accident as a civvy you see the difference between the military lads and the civvy lads straight away you know there's not that couple of minutes of absorption of what's going on like i've seen when i, I used to spend a lot of time in the states and um, was the place i stayed it was right next to a junction where people would crash all the time and um you know this the, the difference between the civvies and the military lads if i had military mates over and something happens everyone's boom straight into action mm. um with with the civvies it'd be like the frozen rabbit kind of moment you know and uh i think that's probably one of the best things that you take away from you know the military is that is that being able to react to stuff you know because if uh you know like the, the the thing is is like you're not it's not like once you get out of the military danger's gone for the rest of your life you could be witness to a car accident you could have someone in your family have a you know have a stroke or a heart attack or something and that moment of that and it's, it's getting that panic out of your head you know what i mean it doesn't mean that afterwards you're not shaking and uh, you know and full of adrenaline but it's it's that initial moment of all right you know here we go we're going into it and you know how to deal with adrenaline you know how to deal with that surge of uh, of of what could cause you to panic which is the, you know the fight or flight thing so it's if someone comes at you in a bar you you don't you, you know you you have that choice of right am i going to hit this person or am i going to back out it's, but you're not what you're going to be able to make a decision rather than have that decision made for you because you've never been in those, you know, never mm. been in those positions. You don't like having a huge amount of adrenaline coming to your body changes your mindset. And if you don't know how to deal with that initially, it just frees you, you know. And that could be the difference between your life or someone else's life. And you know, I think that's uh, even if someone hasn't been in combat, I think that's something that veterans take away. If you've been in combat, then obviously you know you're going to have that to an even higher degree. Yeah, it's like yeah, I think it's like a boxer, isn't it? You liken it to a boxer. Boxer goes and trains. He used to get him throw punches thrown, and he recognizing the signs, and he goes into a bar, and someone kicks off, and he's just calm as a fucking cucumber. Yeah, because it's just not. It's just you know, like, yeah, normal pattern of life, you know. It's like Mike was it Mike Tyson thing? Everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, you know, but the same. It's like same if you played play rugby or anything like that. You know, you're just used to con the used to physical contact, and mm. you know, I think that's important. Even if you haven't done it for a few years, you've still. It's very deep down in there in you. You know, you know, your body knows that. If you, and if someone pushes, shoves into you, or bangs into you, or whatever, you, you're like, oh yeah, I remember this. Like, you know, it's, it won't be as fast, but you know it. You know, like I've got a lot of civvy mates. Never probably never thrown a punch in their life, and they never played rugby. Probably never hit anyone in their life. That's a bit mad, isn't it? You think you think uh, about it for us as squaddies to think that because I'm not someone who really goes around starting fights and stuff, but you know it's from rugby and everything like that you know it's been a part of life even if it's not been a regular part but it's mad to think that a high percentage i would say of this country um have never never had scrap mm. it's quite it's quite hard for us to get like get yeah. our heads around i reckon yeah crazy it's crazy um so 
trying to, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what we were on before. What were we talking about? We've fucking gone. We're, we're talking about we're talking about Afghan the mission in Afghan uh, going yeah, off yeah. the rails. Talking off. Yeah, uh, go on. Then. So you got out. What was that like? Getting out. Um, it's all right at first. So I left in two thousand. So you were full time. You so I, I, I went full time regular uh, full time regular service. So I basically did a couple of years. I, so I did a couple of tours on a mobilization contract. So I did one mobilization contract, extended it onto a second. Can Let- you explain that for people who don't understand? I don't it's, even it's, understand. Okay, it's <laughs> like, so mobilization contract is 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 when you're TA or yeah. reservist. And the military go, we've got a manpower requirement here. Would you like to do it? You go, yeah. And it's like a, it's like a, a, a sort of mid, short, short mid-term contract. Yeah, you basically go and do a tour. And there you, you do the pre-deployment training on one side and then nine leave months, and stuff on the other months, side. Five, nine no, months, it's longer than that. I'd say it's over. It's because pre-deployment training could be six months. Can't so you're like a year. Like I would say year. with leave and stuff, you pro- I think it was probably about 14 months or something. Right. But and I mean, then, I'm, I'm guessing now. And like then full-time reserve is basically, well, on, you are full-time serving with the military, but on paper, you're territorial army or reservist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you got like a PID in the battalion, so you have the number in the battalion and stuff. But when that things, and then to be honest, mate, a lot of the lads when we were doing this ended up staying on with the battalions because the battalions at the time had so many vacancies yeah. that it was really easy for Still lads do. to stay on. Still do. So I left after my um, second tour, but then when I heard the battalion was going to Afghanistan, then I was like, right, I'm getting in on that. So I went back. Um, then when the tour finished, I went to Recce Platoon. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm quite happy with this because, yeah, so I was, I was happy in recce and um, the great bunch of lads. I love the support company lads. And um, then the boss said I could go on. He, basically, a boss was a legend. So he was like, any lad, um, there was all the lads from Afghan. He was like, right, pick a course. I'll send up one, whatever course you want to go on. So I went and did a PTI course, um, as you can tell, because my essence. so i went and did pti if you have true pti mate you'd rock up in that stupid bloody vest vest. wearing everywhere (laughs) so um, i don't fit me anymore (laughs) so um when i did that course mate loved it um and then when i came back got squared away got put into the garrison gym Hmm. And I had a right good time. They were a really good bunch of boys. Watch Garrison uh, in uh, Tidworth. Okay, so a really good time down there, and we just have a laugh. And used to, we were just doing fizz, 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 fizz monster at the time, um, and I loved it. And I wanted to stay. So time came to renew my FTRS contract. So I was like, yeah, I really love it in the gym. I want to stay there. The QMSI wanted me to stay in there because I became kind of like his number two guy, um, and I just wanted to stay there. I was I was Lance Jack. I was quite happy staying Lance Jack for the rest of my life. Wasn't bothered about going up the rank. I, I'd gone, you know, I'd come in and done the tours and stuff because I wanted the experience. I wanted to enjoy this experience of being a PTI. And then after a few years, that we just leave. And they're like, no, if you stay on, you're going to Brecon and we're going to put you in one of the companies. Are you going back to one of the rifle companies, section commander? I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, we want you to stay, but we want you to go back. I'm like, yeah, okay, but I don't want to do that. And the QMSI wants me to stay here. Can I just stay in the gym? No, you can't do that. So I was like, fuck, I don't really want to leave the boys. But then there was one day that sealed it for me. Which was, I'd spend loads of time, like, because I used to, I, I, did, I paid to do my own CV calls as well. So I had, like, extra, you know, I was trying to get as many skills as possible. And um, I spent loads of time working on, like, so if, you know, if there was a ski team or battalion ski team, I'd, you know, make training plans, like, specific to them for what they were going to do. I'd put, like, a lot of effort into it. I wasn't just going, like, having everyone turn up and go, right, steady state run. You know, put a lot of effort <laughs> into it. And um, went in to show this sergeant major, um, the sergeant major was massive. He was a massive fat one. He was. He always wanted, always wanted squaring away on his PFA, which is a load of bollocks as well. Because you're in Lance Jack, you can't say no to him, but you know it's wrong. It's, 
And I just think, like, once someone's done that, you just you, how can you ever have respect no, for that yeah, person yeah, in the rank? Yeah, yeah. You know, fat fuck. Anyway, um, he was, and I was showing him this plan that I'd spent loads of. I'd been, you know, staying back after when, after I'd been cut away to work on this plan. And he's looking at something on his screen. So I put my hand on the desk to lean over and look. And he fucking screamed at me like I was a piece of shit. And I was just like, this is mental. I've spent hours working on this. And he's talking to me like I'm a piece of shit because I put my hand on his desk. So, because, you know, before that, I'd been stood at ease, you know, like. But anyway, I'm walking out and the RCMO catches me through the window. And he shouts out. He's like, hey, Johnny, you're going to come and do this Pete work today? I'm right. like, no, nah, I'm all right, thanks, sir. <laughs> and that was it. From that moment, I just thought, like, it's this. It was, an, it was a hard decision because I didn't want to leave the boys. Um, and it's made it easier for me now that a lot of them have left, that it's like that kind of like that wanting to go. Because ne- it was never about the battalion. It was always about the boys. You know, I don't want to slag the battalion off, but the truth of the matter is I've never had one phone call or anything like that to see if I'm doing all right, if I've got a job if or anything like that. That's fine. They don't want to do that. They don't need to do that. They, they, they didn't sign a piece of paper to say that they do that. Um, so that's fine. But that just makes it very easy for me to know that it was never the battalion that was my home. It was the fact that I was there with my brothers. You know? um, so wherever they are, you know, be it that Civvy Street or the battalion, then I'm happy in either one of those. Um, you know, that being said, obviously there's times when I did miss it. But what happened when I got out was I started working in a gym as, as a personal trainer. And there was a, a rugby team there, professional rugby team at the gym. And I just slotted in with those guys. And it was like just being back with the boys. So I didn't really have any problems at all to begin with. Um, because I still had the, I had the tribe. You know, I had the boys. And we'd go out a lot. We'd work out a lot. We'd just get into fucking mischief with each other. Um, and it was just, exa- you know, rugby lads are squaddies, aren't they, basically? But they throw a ball around instead of rounds, you know? Yeah. Um, so there wasn't, like, that That made the transition at first really easy. Then one day the gym closed. Um lost you know couldn't had nowhere to train my clients or anything got offered a job working on the ships again got to work with squaddies maritime security yeah doing the maritime got to work with squaddies great lads um money was decent so again not really kind of not really struggling at that point because i had the, the lads and stuff and then what happened was as the company started undercutting each other the teams were sri lankan guys like sri lankan guys and don't get me wrong they were lovely blokes but all of a sudden I was spending months away on my own and never someone that I could talk to, never someone I could relate to. Didn't really have, occasionally you can do emails and stuff back home. But all of a sudden I lost my connection to the boys. And it's only now with hindsight, I look back and I can see that was the moment. And it was, it was more than that too. Cause what happened then was, it was also that, um, you know, there's, there's some other, there's some other things. I'm a big believer that PTSD really manifests itself. When everything's going all right, you can manage it, you know? So, well, some people can manage it depends on the severity but if it's the only thing you've got to deal with it's it's all right but then when all of a sudden your wages go from you know down to 20 percent of what they were then you've got money worries so now you've got two things that you're dealing with you can't keep a relationship because you're away all the time and you don't know what your schedule is you've got no one to talk to you're alone you're cut off once you start getting three four or five factors on the table that's when the other stuff starts to kind of Mm, I agree. Come for you then, and then I look at it now, and I can literally see it like a line on a paper. Where that is where I started to struggle at that point. Then, um, and then I think, to be honest, mate, it was a case, it was a quase. It was a case of classic squaddy bloke, you know, ma- macho. 
I'd actually done a great job of just compartmentalizing and sticking stuff away. And the once it got out, it wasn't going back in. Um, so I don't think that it was ever like, oh, I had no issue. It's just like the issue had just been screwed up while I was in Afghan. The issue had been screwed up, stuck down deep inside me, and it just hasn't been allowed to see the light of day. Because whenever it did come up, I'd just be like, boom, 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 good drink. You know, the old school method of, <laughs> of dealing with your problems of just, oh, if you feel down, just get smashed. Mm. But then you feel start feeling worse, so you have to get more smashed and more smashed and more smashed. And then before you realize that you're getting smashed every day and you think, when was the last time I wasn't smashed? And you're thinking, like, this is months and months and months of being smashed every day and this is no longer, this is no longer normal, you know, if it ever was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, went downhill pretty quickly, I reckon. Um, got a couple of years a bit blurry, 2015 and 2016. And then, like I said, mate, I can't even... It's hard for me to put an exact date on it now because I think it's partly one of those things you don't want to remember it. So your brain's not, like, actively giving you dates and stuff. and like, oh, this is when you started to feel shit. But, you know, I just... I, I ended up at the point where I didn't want to be any... I didn't want to be around anymore. Just didn't want to be. Um, but... I never lost sight of the fact that even though I not might not want to be around, I was never stupid enough to think that it would be like, um, you know, my family would be just crack on if I was gone. You know, it would probably, it wouldn't just, it would be the end of my problems and it would be the beginning of everybody else's, you know? Mm. So that's what kind of kept me around. Um, and um, yeah, it was just... Empathy. Yeah, it was, well, it's empathy, mate. But the thing is, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, really, because one of the main reasons that I wanted to take myself out of the game was that I just felt like, I felt like I was just, you know, weak. I was just, I was just like a weak, pathetic piece of shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it was like, it wasn't like I want to get myself out because I want to stop seeing things that I'm thinking about. And, and as much as that was, you know, causing me to lose sleep and stuff like that, it wasn't like, oh, I want to, you know, flick the switch so I'm not, you know, I'm not seeing this stuff. It was everyone would be better off without me if I wasn't around. And I think that maybe this is not like, because there's no one size fits all when it comes to depression, PTSD, suicide or anything like that. But when I've, I've seen some videos of lads who have done like goodbye videos, basically like that. Fucking hell. Yeah. And what kind of came across to me was that, thing is about soldiers, mate, is soldiers, especially infantry soldiers, you know, you're willing to sacrifice your life, right? You're willing to lay down your life for the good of others. And I think that that is something that's being missed in the conversation about suicide and veterans, is that people automatically think, oh, it does, he, it's because he can't deal with the memories of seeing his mate die or something. Now, that may be the case in some people, but I do think that there's also this thing of, you know, the, the, the squaddy mentality of, I'm taking one for the team if I die because I'm dragging my wife down. I'm dragging my kids down. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a burden. I'm no longer a use to anyone. It's better off if they go without me. And, you know, and I, I basically take the, you know, take, take one for the team and having seen some like of these videos and notes and having thought that way myself, I think that's something that needs to be addressed in people is that, you know, if people feel they're a burden, there's a chance that they might feel that the best thing for everyone, which obviously it's not, but they feel that the right the best thing to do is to take myself out. Yeah, I've not I I've yeah. I, I it's um it's interesting. It's different things to different people, isn't it? I exactly. Think, um I uh like for for me it was um 
uh, I didn't, I couldn't see a way of stopping the pain. Mm. So, and how would you get rid of it? How, yeah. how, how can I, how could I, I couldn't see a way of getting out of the, <coughs> excuse me, couldn't see a way of getting out of the position I was in. Yeah. How do I get out of it? How do I, uh, uh, there was the question of it, why, you know, I should be able to do it myself and not have to rely on other people. But then I came, I did come to the realisation that you can't solve everything on your own, you know, you need to get help from people. But it was, it was uh, the two or three times of that, that consideration, should we say, it was, I, I can't, how do I but, stop it? But it's a knock on, isn't it? Because I think for me, it was like, it began with how do I stop thinking about, there was two things. There was the dealing with loss is one thing. Dealing with loss, dealing with things you saw. And then there was the... So I never had that. Like, I've never had that. So that was part of it. But, but it wasn't I know the biggest blokes part. Do, but it was, yeah, it wasn't the do, biggest yeah. part of me. The biggest part of me was the the feeling of my best days are behind me kind of thing. And that, that was like part of it. And I was like... And I, I basically... The reason I started doing, you know, certain things was because I was looking for a way of matching... It was like it was a it was a double thing. It was well, part of it was matching the intensity that I used to feel, and the other part was numbing my feelings to towards towards stuff, and then that led then full circle into now I'm a burden to other people because I've spent all my money and I can't get you know I can't you know I, I can't you know keep a roof over my head and you know all that kind of stuff. And, do you know what? Yeah. Um, do you know what? Uh... A couple of years ago, I discovered. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, what, sorry, go on, one of those things is. Like, yeah, I, 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 I want to be back there and want and want and want to be part that like, you're generous, get mm-hmm, in there, yeah. being part of something fucking pure, yeah. and getting getting amongst it, as you put it. Fireworks nightmare. Mm. Two years. I remember it two years ago. I sat there and fight. I was at fireworks night. I was that at a bench. Or something. It was three years ago. Well, maybe longer than that. And uh, it is amazing when you when I, at the time I realised how similar. The sound of fireworks going off mm. is to a fucking battle going off, hundred yeah. percent. And I sat there. There was people with me, but I wasn't. They were like mm. next to me on the right side. I, I sat there. I closed my eyes, and I put myself and I imagined I was back Did in Nigeria, mate. I fucking closed my eyes that entire fireworks session. Great, it was it? about twenty minutes, thirty minutes. Honestly, it didn't make me happy. It didn't you make just, me sad. Just it just. It was like. Um, it was fulfilling. Yeah, it was like a, it was like re- remembering a fond memory. Mate, the last two years I've gone to. Um, they have a great fireworks display in um, where some of my mates live in in um, in uh, Orange County. And the last two years I've just stood on and I've, a lot of it, like the same as you, mate. I just close my eyes and just above, above, above. And oh god, it gives me a boner. Hey, don't get me um, wrong, we're lucky. Like, yeah. I, I hate to think what it's like for people who got fucking blown up, and you know, and and maybe don't deal with it. Yeah, I mean, but but here's what I was gonna say: is like, because I know it's coming there. It's just something that I can embrace. Now, what does sometimes stick my heart through my mouth is for a couple of days either side of the Fourth of July. Every now and again, even maybe just three o'clock in the afternoon, someone will set off a banger. And I'll just be walking down the street on the way to the gym. Fourth of July? Oh, you spend yeah in America. Yeah, time. like I, yeah, I, I I try and go there every uh, like summer on, on an extended vacation. Um, and yeah, I'll just be walking down the street, and then there'll just be that bang, and it'll echo down the street. And because it's not expected, 
that will send me like because that'll just send because your adrenaline doesn't like even though i go like hey calm down come on it's not a thing my adrenaline's already <laughs> yeah, gone yeah. and that's it like and i heard something that like if you have a big shock like that it can take almost literally a couple of days for that entire effect of that adrenaline dump to get out of your system you know it messes you up Mm. um i I know i've started (laughs) i've started to do stuff like now i've stopped jumping out on people and like you know when you jump out on people scare people stop doing that people people now because i realized how much you can mess people up like (laughs) in terms of like the levels of like adrenaline in your system when it comes to your work and things um but yeah like it's so that's totally different but when i know it's coming it's something that i can embrace unlike yeah you put it really well mate it's like a it's just like a nice little fond memory i'm really looking forward to the days when we have virtual reality to the level of being able to go back. If you said to me, right, I got a virtual reality headset, you go back to a contact, 100%. Get me in there. Yeah. Put me like under. Ready Player One or something like that. You got a bodysuit on. Have you seen the film? Yeah, I think I'll probably be too old for the bodysuit by the time it comes out, mate. I'd like, <laughs> I like something that's just like, I don't know, maybe some implant that goes up your, up your backside. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, stimulates you up there. But no, like, I, I think that'll be a thing, mate. I think virtual reality for vegetables... So it already is in America. They have this headset on, right? So they have this headset that they give you. One of my mates has been through this. And you like drive along... It's like you're looking in like you're in a Humvee and you drive along the streets and then the they, the uh, therapist or whatever has like a panel they can press they could play AK sounds, RPGs. Really? Yeah, stuff like that. And it's, So it's not like... You know, it's not like you and me looking at each other now, or is it? Could we be living in a virtual reality <laughs> simulation? This is another, that's another topic. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's so for lads that were blown up in Humvees, because I mean, you know, talking numbers of Americans that must get blown up and injured and stuff in Humvees off the, ch- off the yeah. charts. I mean, they had over 4,000 dead in Iraq. You know? Did they? Yeah, 4,000. 4, over 4,000, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and then probably what you probably triple that for life changing injuries. Mm. Um, but yeah, so they have this this Humvee <clears throat> simulation they they play the call to prayers on there they play the AK so, oh, so they can read love the call to prayers yeah, so I when, the you, when that goes through yeah, you just feel like you're in Jason Bourne movie oh don't you oh my god I love it I love it I, I'll uh, it's two things I'll put on relax on the on spot <laughs> I'm not even joking I'll put on call to prayer mate, it's not this isn't a bearded video is it no I'm fucking telling you mate I'll stick it on I'll, I'll find, a, find a video on YouTube <laughs> I'll find it the song on video on YouTube not what website are you looking I've, at um, I've uh, caught a prayer stick that on and I, like I'm talking background music while I'm working if I'm on my own yeah it was, it was a little fucking shit for <laughs> call a prayer beyond Arab, um, Arab Islamic singing um, with nothing else just like complete uh, what do you call it acapella whatever, whatever. see no, I just music. associate that music now with uh, war porn you know, like um, you know, war like the war, war footage. Porn. Yeah, you know, war footage like war porn. You know, you go on Instagram and uh, you see like, oh, Syrian like Syrian army guy gets shot in the head by a uh, something. I can't watch those anymore. See, so, yeah, I, I I do and I don't. Like, I don't. I I will. I don't watch the any any basically butchering where it's someone hasn't got a fight. But if it's like people scrapping, I can watch the scrapping stuff. But it's just like I I just believe in fair play, mate, and like the idea of you know. I think one good thing we have as British soldiers is that we don't kill prisoners and stuff. I think that's an important thing, personally. I know mm. some people disagree, but to be honest, most mostly what I found is that people who disagree tend to be people who have never actually done any scrapping. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I I just think that I think that we are better than that. And I think once someone's out of the fight, then why do we need to? You know? I do. I did like. Um, I do. I I do like how rigid 
we were, and I was, and I assume that we still are as a British military, as a military. Probably more so, if anything. It was uh, regarding um, collateral damage, and I mean human collateral damage, yeah. and and uh, structural. Uh, we just, we've got so fucking careful, even on the, on the 06 tour, so fucking careful yeah. about smashing shit up with no need, from, from a field full of crops mm-hmm. to a fucking building to, you know... Um, well, obviously, the human component was a massive thing. You know, if, if, if we knew the Taliban of the building, we would be super careful about how we engaged that building. You know, you certainly wouldn't hit it with a with a um, a law or a fucking javelin mm. or that. But you brass it up, yeah. If you mm. saw the enemy, well, yeah. what what I um, when I mean brass it, I mean brass yeah. shoot so I don't aim know, shots. At I, yeah, enemy. I don't I don't know if you I <laughs> fucking hell. Aim, oh yeah, aim, was it aim shot is a train shot. Um, all right, what you might not be aware of, maybe you are, is that all contact reports and stuff are on WikiLeaks. Do you know that? No. Right. Everyone, put down your phones, go and look on WikiLeaks. So it's with UK I have found the contact <laughs> report where I got blown up. Oh, really? I found the contact report where I got um, got bad guy. Um, and it's um, it's funny because it's like these these moments are some of the biggest moments in your life. And you find the contact report, and it's just two lines, of te- just two lines of text. Yeah. But you know what's below that is about three paragraphs about avoiding collateral damage. So like, so like, one of my mates got shot. He got shot through the neck. I'm laughing because he was all right. But um, he's just all he gets is like, oh, one W, one ISAF WIA. That's his little bit. And then underneath, there's like three paragraphs about how we avoided civilian, yeah. uh, avoided civilians. And people don't know that. People think we're fucking cowboys, mate. Yeah. Now, are there moments where people have been cowboys? I'm sure 100%, there are. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to happen. But generally, we're fucking really good at not being ninety nine point nine percent of the time. And, yeah. and, and our enemy, by the way, on the other hand, is walking into fucking churches and cafes or whatever, just blowing themselves apart. So it is, it's night and day when you compare rules of engagement. And it does it go too far? Yes, it does because there's definitely times where it's like there's a Taliban guy with a bit of carpet and you know he's got a fucking RPG in there and he's moving to another firing position and you, you can't, you know, can't like I think when you were there you could have engaged him with that. By the time 2010 and stuff rolled around the courageous restraint thing you couldn't have engaged that person. I feel like I wouldn't have. Like yeah. an example, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so an, an example being uh, there was, um, uh, I was in Kajaki <clears throat> like a few weeks before the, the fucking incident, obviously the, mm-hmm. the film incident and um there was a we were on that we are normally the ford the 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 fucking op um and i spotted a uh a, a, a guy compound which is known taliban compound and he had something in his hand and in that area was a more uh was it no it wasn't the recallless rifle yeah and uh he went out of sight and i said i think I said, I've just fucking, I can't remember what the terminology I used, but it was I basically I said, I've, just, I've seen someone, I think he might have had a, a recallist rifle round in his hand, kind of round to do a shot. They'd only, they'd only do one or two shots for this fucking thing, mm. like beast or weapon. And, um, but at the same time, I wasn't sure if it was a bottle of Zam Zam. Remember Zam Zam? Mm. Like uh, Afghan Fanta. Yeah. Um, and they, they. It's just bad for your teeth, she's yeah. them out anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they wanted to drop the, they said, which one was it? Let's drop the compound. And they wanted me to commit to an answer. Oh, they wanted to blow they up the whole compound. And when I say they, the people, I was, yeah, because there was yeah. no one in that area. It was right, like my okay, fucking ticket. Because he'd come okay. out of there with right. ammo. 
you know, ammunition. Mm. And I, I wasn't sure which, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was. Uh, so I wasn't, and I, n- yeah. no, no, no. I mean, there's a second thing, and there's another one I've, I've spun up before where I was, I was told to shoot a guy, and I wasn't, sh- I, I wasn't 100% sure. The guy, well, the guy, it was a dicker. Mm-hmm. It was a dicker. And, um, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of people in Iraq and Afghanistan who were making a phone call who got fucking smacked for being dickers. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, have you listened to the Ben um, Griffin podcast? Mm. Oh, have I listened to that one? No, not another podcast, man. got too many. Mate, Ben Griffin. People stop making podcasts. No, no, so Ben Griffin, right, he's ex-Hereford. Right. Tupac in Hereford. And um, he's now a... A prolific member of Veterans of Peace. Nice. Um, he, he did a massive speech. Uh, no, not massive speech. He did a. He was part of a debate in, in Oxford, um, and his talk was about how you know British British troops are completely brainwashed. They talk to kill people. A lot of fucking bollocks, right? There's stuff in that speech. There's a lot of bollocks. I got on the podcast. We had a discussion about it. One of the discussions mm-hmm. with Dickers. You know, it's like there's, there's a time and a place to shoot them. Definitely. You know, Maybe there is. No, every if time. If they're being an MFC. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, how do we get to that? I've listened to that. He's also, though. He's a fucking awesome dude. Well, you, would you say you're a pacifist? No. Yeah. Define, just give me the definition. What's the definition? Don't like war. Let's say. Let's say the pacifist is you don't like war. No. Don't believe in war. No, you can't. How? What? How would you defend no, yourself? Then? I'm the same, mate. No, I'd be the same. I, I, I'd rather we didn't have to have it, but I just think it's. I, I think it's, it's part not possible. Of hum- though. I think it's part of human condition, mate. Exactly, hundred percent. It's not possible. Right. We have to have conflict. It only it's takes. And we got what? What is it like? Six, six, seven billion people on the planet now. Only takes twenty thousand people to cause all trouble for everybody else. Mate, you could. You have, to, you, have, you, have, you have to be willing to 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 smash smack people down. You Unfortunately, could. I'm sorry. I just. No, no. What go I was going to say is, it's just. I'm against how it's done in some cases, and I'm against why it's done. But in principle, I'm I'm fully on board with the use of violence and the use of force. I just think that um, I think I just rather a bit of honesty, mate. Like if it's going to be used for just lining pockets and stuff like that, I just like it's like it's like when you're fucking dating someone, mate. If someone wants to have somebody on the side or whatever, like just say yeah, it's an open relationship or whatever. <laughs> just put the rules out there. So if it's like hey, it's like if they say you know if it's a Hey, look, we're going to have this fucking war, and there's a bunch of people there going to die. But if we do, your petrol is going to be fifty p cheaper. You know, give people that fucking option. <laughs> but mate, that's basically what it boils down to. Was that Iraq? Was that Iraq? Uh, mate, no. Here's the thing about Iraq as well, right? While we're on the subject, you know, like if you used would to you work, go to war with fifty p cheaper? For me, would you go? Don't, yeah, have, a car, don't have a car, mate. <laughs> fucking Uber. <laughs> I, I want, I want a planet, mate. But right, so you're from the south, right? You're from South Wales, yeah. You're right. I'm from North Wales, right? So we both got miners in the family, right? No. Oh, are you? No, my, kind of my father's Welsh, Scottish, my mother's Irish. What kind of Welsh guy are you? Okay. Right. <laughs> All right, most Welsh, real Welsh people have got miners in the family, right? Yeah. And they used to get three bags of coal for the rest of their life. Yeah. Where's did, my free oil? Did they? Yeah. Yeah, used to, yeah, they used free to. Oil, right. Yeah, well, I, I, reckon I, should, I reckon I should get it. Mate, got oil heating now. It's bloody expensive. I wouldn't mind the free bottle of oil but every this month. Ca- this comes back to why were we there, though. Is this, so I, I'm getting more of the... I'm, fuck's sake, I'm getting more onto the, the, the opinion that Iraq and Afghanistan is compl- a complete waste of time. I used to say, until last couple of months, well, literally the last couple of months I've been saying it, it's like, okay, and I've, for the last few years, said it on different interviews and stuff, you know, because one of the questions that fucking journalists and stuff love to ask is, do you think we were there, it was right being there, or do you think it was worth going? Do you, blah, 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 blah. And my answer used to be, look, even if when when I went there, okay, 
I don't believe in the the, the grander scheme of things that we, we should have... The, the reasons we were told we were going were right. But if I went on, for example, a six, seven-month tour, and even in that whole tour, I only positively... We, or I, or the unit, only posit, hypothetically, only positively impacted one village for a couple of weeks. We went in there... We kicked the Taliban out, you know, we brought, we gave them, we paid the elders to come in and speak to us, or fucking gave them whatever, we helped them with some irrigation, blah, blah, fucking blah. Just two weeks. Well, that's a positive impact. That's something they wouldn't have had anyway, right? Yeah, but maybe they get all get beheaded at the end of it. <laughs> this is the thing. That's one of the things, the other thing is that point of reference, what's good for them. Mm. That, I'm, I'm going for my, my oh, okay, point right, of reference. So now I'm thinking, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I think I think I'm dealing with that revelation well, though. Right? I think it wasn't worth it. You know, yeah, um, we had twelve beers since we started. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. But it's a, it, that's here's the thing. Here's the problem with that that statement, though, is that people died, people got life changing injuries, physical and mental. Um, it, I'm, I'm. If I am going to align myself with that statement, I'm not sure if I am. I've just literally said out loud there. I'm not. It doesn't mean it's all in vain. I don't know. It's, it's, no, I mean, look. I the thing is, mate, it's, it's an individual answer, but it's also a shifting answer. Because what you like, as we grow as human beings, what my answer is now might not be what my answer is in five years' time. Might not be in ten years' time. Good and, point. and like, people, and, and I know people with life changing injuries who would never. They wouldn't. Yeah, they were life changing injuries. But though you ask those lads. They wouldn't change the world like how it is. But then there's, there's others who probably every day think, God, I wish I could go back and have my fucking legs back and this was all for nothing. It changes every day. There's been points in my life where I've, I've been so angry about the whole thing. But then there's been there's other parts where I just think, like, if I hadn't gone through, we wouldn't be having this conversation now and wouldn't know you. I wouldn't be... I, w- I wouldn't be, I think, now appreciative of life as I am. Like, I fucking, you know, really enjoy life now. And the reason I enjoy, like, I see a lot of people, as we all do, sleepwalking their way through life. Um, and having had the lows. It's most people, mate. Most, most people, people, yeah. People so don't like, even realise it. Yeah, and I, I feel like, okay, did I had a couple of fucking years that were really bad, you know, bad years in, in a lot of ways. But even those years are fucking good parts. Um, you know, they, they had good parts too. So it's not like... It, they were like total write-offs, but now, off the back of those really low days, I think I have really high days. I mean, I still have low days now and again, and my low day is probably lower than the low, like the the, you know, the the society's baseline. My low days are probably lower than you know the average, but my days are so like my good days. My mate, my average days are so like my fucking morning today started off by oh, I just thought you know well, I'm going to go for a walk for a bit, and then I'm you know going to be at reading and stuff like that because got this built life built this life for myself now where i have a lot of control over it and i can do you know like we're talking about fourth of july i spent the last two summers in america traveling because i know that one day i'm going to be dead and i know when you're dead you're dead and so i'm making the most of what i've got now if you haven't witnessed death if you haven't been around it you you know you you just don't know you don't know any better and it's only really when people start getting into their 50s and some of their mates from school start to have heart attacks or whatever that they start to think oh fuck this 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 is a fine you know this is this is, this does end well you're already in your 50s and like you know one good thing about being a squaddy is as tragic as it is is you learn that lesson you learn that lesson early you might learn that lesson at 18 that some people learn at 50 you've got fucking 30 years advantage over people about living your day and actually living your life now some people don't take you know some people don't use that you know i think there's definitely this 
there's this misconception in society that all just because you were a fucking squaddy, you go on to be a high charge, you know, high charged individual who kicks down doors every day, you know, um, metaphorically speaking. But that's not the truth. Some people get out of the army and they sit on their ass for the rest of their life and they don't do anything. We need to acknowledge that. You know, not all squaddies are trying, you know, getting out there and making the most of it, which I think is really sad, you know. Um, but, you know, that's individual responsibility. But um, no, I think like I always try and think of it as like, you know, lads gave up their lads gave up their lives or girls gave up their lives and others gave up, you know, some limbs or other injuries. But they they did do them doing that is a gift to everybody else because they've literally given us the gift of lads what you've got. Whenever I see one of the lads on my Instagram, like there's, uh, you know, so many lads out there who are missing legs, missing arms, whatever, who are doing amazing, incredible things. And you're thinking like, i got no reason to complain about nothing. It's inspiring. You know, it's a gift. It's a daily gift, you know, and I think people need to make the most of it. Mate, you need to write that shit down and put it in the book. It's sitting next to me. <laughs> Is it in the book? Is it's it? Sitting next- yeah, Is it? Right. We gotta wrap it up, mate. I fucking oh. agree with everything you said. That was right. an awesome monologue. Um, <laughs> right, tell me the book, Brothers in Arms. Yeah, a book's called Brothers in Arms. Um, details our tour in Afghanistan, summer of two thousand nine to beginning of two thousand ten. Um, and then what I've written in the end of it as well is the stuff that came after, which we kind of touched on here. Um, and the reason I put that in there wasn't for like self indulgent boohoo, give me a pat on the back. It was I wanted to show how I fucked things up because then what's at the back of the book is how I pick things back up. Um, like I said, I'm really happy with how my life is now. I was really grateful for how it's going. Well, you're um, flying, mate. You're flying. And from what yeah. I, you know, from the, from what I've seen, oh, fucking hell, you got a, you got a massive following mm-hmm. for the right reasons. You don't get your tits out. You're not shaking your ass, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously you beat the eye. A massive following. You're enjoying life. You're mm-hmm. successful. Um, you're obviously an awesome individual, otherwise you wouldn't be on this fucking podcast. Exactly, brother. <laughs> mate, I'm in good company on here, man. But no, like that's that's the point about the book, mate. Is I just wanted what we were just talking about there, man. That's exactly it. It's just like um hopefully the aim of the book is that of um yes, it's great to immort- I like, I want to immortalise all the boys, not just the boys who passed away, but um but also I just want if hopefully there'll be a couple of squaddies out there who are well, I mean, I wish they weren't in that position, but if they're having a hard time, that they read it, realise that someone else has had a hard time too, and hopefully get something out of it, they'll push them in the right direction, man. 100%. Well, if, mate, in all honesty, people, a lot of the stuff you said today, mate, they'll, they'll get something from that as well, listen to this. Honest, honest to God. Even if it's just one person listening to this, goes, exactly, hell, mate. That's, man, the, that's, that's the, the thing. Is that, that's what happens, mate. With one brick at a time, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. Um, right, what's your website? Website is, um, so I got podcast, um, Veteran State of Mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's VSOM Podcast, V-S-O-M Podcast.com. Uh, and social media, at GRJ Books. That's same on everything. Mostly active on uh, Instagram, so at GRJ Books. Golf Romeo and Juliet Books, one word. Uh, I'll do that book as a giveaway. Yep, Brother Arms, May 16th. If you could buy it, then I will send you ass pictures. <laughs> They're just dick pics for me. <laughs> oh, um, you get the premium mate. content. <laughs> <laughs> mate, fucking, that is it. Cheers, brother. I, mate, you. I really nice enjoyed that. Me too. Thanks, man. Cheers. Thanks, man. Cool. That's it. Hope you enjoyed. Um... Final shout out to our sponsors, Westway Nissan, westwaynissan.co.uk, private and commercial vehicles um, for hire or 
over purchase up to a 20% discount for serving personnel and ex-military West Winners and UK, West Winners and on social media. Uh, also, Team Rubicon UK, the disaster response charity, currently cutting the mustard. Understatement of the year, cutting the mustard in uh, in Mozambique, responding to that disaster, hideous disaster out there, which I've just come back from. I like to vouch for all the activity that's going on with them and the kind of organisation they are, formed predominantly of ex-military volunteers. Team Rubicon UK.org forward slash donate, please. If it's if you've just a quid. Donate them some money, please. Um, and uh, it goes to goes to good use. I've seen it firsthand. I've delivered it. Not the money, but the, what the money buys firsthand. Uh, lastly, don't forget, Beer and Gin Festival next weekend, 10th and 11th of May. RugbyFORheroes.org for information. Get your tickets online. It's a fiver for the whole weekend. Camping and glamping available. I'm going. A lot of the podcast guests are going. A lot of Team Rubicon UK grey shirt volunteers are going. Uh, even some of those just came back from Mozambique with myself and uh, good people doing good things listening to good music eating good food drinking good alcohol for a good cause that's it until next time out <laughs>